In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. Last Saturday, I was uh, to lead a worship service at a retreat center and celebrate communion. It was in Pennsylvania at a place I'd never been before, and so I went prepared. I borrowed the pottery chalice and plate or paten from our six o'clock worship service. I had a a sleeve of little Eucharistic wafers, uh, a big priest host. I I even remembered to bring gluten-free wafers in case someone came who needed those. Um, I brought a little tiny bottle of wine. Um, I brought those little white fabrics we use, which go by all sorts of strange names, like purificator and lavabo towel and such things. I was prepared. I was ready. Then I got there. It was a beautiful place and a a large kind of altar in the, the main fellowship room for the conference center. And so as I began to set things up for the service, I realized, oh no, there, there are no candles. We need two candles for the altar. And since the center was built on to an enormous church, I thought, well, this shouldn't be a problem. And so I went to the receptionist and, and asked her, I said, by any chance, might you have two candles we could borrow for our service? Well, her face changed immediately, and she was like, oh, oh no, oh no, Father, we, we, can't, we can't light candles in the conference center. The fire department will close us down. We can't do that. She went on and on and on. Um, and I said, well, okay. All right, n- not, not a problem. And then she said, well, or maybe, maybe we have some electric ones. I think we have some electric ones left over from Christmas. Let me go find those for you. And I thought, um, no, really, it's okay. And, and then as I was leaving her desk, I said, thank you so much. It'll be all right. We'll, we'll make our own fire. And then she was like, well, what do you mean? And it's like, no, no, no. I mean, I mean we'll bring our own intentions. And those will be um, such as that we won't even recognize there are no candles. Uh, I love those little electric and plug-in candles and windows and the holidays. Those are nice. But somehow on an altar, it, it just wasn't really working for me. Uh, something about artificial candles for a worship service. It's, it's, I'm not quite there yet. Um, I was thinking about this over the week, and I thought there's probably the, a kind of uh, faith equivalent to an electric candle. You know, it's okay, but it's not the real thing. It, it might look like someone whose who's practice of faith um, looks okay when it's turned on for Easter and Christmas, but otherwise it's put away in a box somewhere. Or, or maybe like an electric candle faith that is like the sort of person who keeps his or her faith on a shelf and it's so private and so personal and so individual um, as never to risk, uh, certainly never to risk causing a fire, uh, but also never risking helping another person to, to be warmed by the flame, to be, to be helped by seeing a little light. Uh, to see some light and be guided in a new direction with the love of God. When we're open to it, that's what the the fire of the Holy Spirit does within each one of us. Um, The Holy Spirit is often pictured as a fire, as a flame. Um, And that flame is within each one of us. If we have some little degree of faith in God, um, it flickers, it grows, It wants to grow throughout our life. 
In Isaiah, the people of Israel are told that if they could just stop pointing fingers at each other and speaking in what Isaiah calls evil ways, then all sorts of things will be possible. Isaiah writes to give the exiled people hope that they could return again to Jerusalem, their beloved city, the city where they experienced God most fully. And so Isaiah is saying in these and other words, just just hold on, just hold on. You're going to get there. You're going to get there. He says, our light shall rise in the darkness and our previous gloom be like the noonday. Through your faithfulness, Isaiah says, others will be blessed. They'll be blessed in tangible ways. They'll find food and they'll have their their needs addressed. Water will come to the thirsty and will keep on coming. Old divisions will be healed. Separations will be overcome. When the fire of God burns within us, it spills over into others. In Jesus, we see this light of God's love burning brightly, most brightly, so brightly that it, it attracts people from all over. When people see Jesus, they want to follow him for, for the sense they get from him. Yes, they want the healing. Yes, they want the wisdom. But there's this something else that warms them, that points toward increasing light. And so people follow They realize that if they spend time with Jesus over time, they begin to be slightly different people, more like him, more like God. And when people feel him, they're healed. That's what happens in today's gospel reading with this this poor woman who's been bent over and crippled for some 18 years. Jesus looks at her and refuses to see someone who's limited by a disability. He, he refuses to, t- to see someone who's, who's old or someone who is to be pitied or someone who doesn't matter. Instead, he sees a child of God in the fullness of her health and well-being. And he calls that out of her. With his whole treatment of this woman, Jesus loves her. And so the light of God shines on her like the light of the sun on a little seedling of some kind. And love or life itself calls her to grow taller and stretch higher so she can come to touch God more closely. Whenever God burns within us, there's warmth for others. There's light for others. There's love for others. And when we're open to it, there's no risk of its being artificial or or temporary. There's no on-off switch. Instead, it's the fire of God that burns within us, and there will always be more to come. That strange and beautiful letter to the Hebrews that was just read reminds the faithful of every age of the way that God's fire went before the people of Israel in the wilderness. It illumined their way. It kept them from stumbling. That same fire, the writer to the Hebrews says, burns brightly in the heavenly Jerusalem. It's the symbol of our meeting place with God where light is strongest in its strength and there are innumerable angels feasting and celebrating with all the spirits of those who've gone before us. Everything is made holy, made pure, made bright and light with God. It's no flicker of a candle. It's an eternal flame so bright that it illumines even those of us on earth. We notice its glow. We call them the communion of saints, but we know they're there and we feel their warmth and their light. 
For the last two weeks, our church has celebrated baptisms. Um, We celebrated the sacrament of baptism at 11 o'clock last Sunday with the baptism of a one-year-old, L. And then the Sunday before, at 6 p.m., we baptized a 30-year-old named Alexandra. We offered them both a bit of that heavenly, eternal, consuming fire As a symbol of the Holy Spirit's dwelling within them, we baptize with water, then we anoint with holy oil, but then we light a candle from our Paschal candle, our Easter candle, that candle that's blessed and made new every Easter Eve. We light a candle from that light, and then we hand it to a godparent, or in Alex's case, to to herself. We say to them, you are baptized, receive the Holy Spirit, you are marked as Christ's own forever. Not as though before baptism we don't have some light of Christ, of course we do. But especially from baptism and on, that that light within each one of us is fanned and, 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 and fed and enabled to grow to its full potential. El and Alex will be burning from now on and and sharing their faith with a wounded world. There's a wonderful story that comes from the early Christian tradition, the desert tradition from the 4th and 5th centuries when people would wander into the deserts of Egypt in search of God and in search of themselves often. Um, They prayed individually, they prayed in groups. Um, Their settlements became sort of the the forerunner for uh, monasticism. Um, But at this point in the early centuries, they were just individuals being together out in the desert looking for truth, praying for wisdom. And there's a story about one younger man coming to an older teacher saying, Abba Joseph, Father Joseph, uh, as far as I can, I I try to be faithful. I I say my prayers. I I fast a little. I, I pray and meditate. I help those in need. I live in peace as far as I can. I purify my thoughts. What else can I do? And the story goes that then Abba Joseph, the old man, stood up and he he stretched his hands toward the heavens and his, his fingers burst into flames of fire. And he said, if you will, you can become all flame. These stories from the desert tradition are are a lot like Zen koans. They're not always clear in their meaning, but the images are clear enough, aren't they? That there's always more of us that can um, can be consumed by the fire of God's love, by the fire of God's intention, by the fire of God's holiness, by the fire of God's justice and mercy and forgiveness. May the Holy Spirit quicken the flames that burn within each one of us so that we too might be consumed in the fire of God's love. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.